because you're jumping back into the gap. Oh, let's hey, go. Coach. Welcome to the Basketball Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Oliver. I appreciate you joining us for this week's podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit basketballimmersion.com for more coaching resources and access to all the basketball podcasts. I hope you will give us a shout out on social media, on Twitter at Bball Immersion, or on Instagram at Basketball Immersion to help me continue to share the game. Enjoy the episode. Awesome to welcome Adam Ford, head coach of the Cairns Taipans of the Australian NBL to the basketball podcast. Between 2013 and 2018, Ford was an assistant coach with the Perth Wildcats and won four NBL championships. After a season as assistant coach with the Sydney Kings in 2019-20, he served as their head coach during the 2020-21 season. He was appointed head coach of the Taipans in 2021, and in 2023, he was named the NBL Coach of the Year. Adam, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having us. It's uh, uh, very much a pleasure. Man, pleasure. I, I know we had a chance to meet uh, when you were with Will Weaver and I had a chance to visit uh, yeah. Sydney Kings practice. Great conversation with you. And uh, I got to say, I was watching your quarterfinal win versus Perth live in an undisclosed bar in Dunedin, uh, New Zealand. And the thing that stood out to me most was just the camaraderie and the joy that your team played with. Um, congratulations on that. And then also winning coach of the year. Thank you. Yeah, it's, uh, it makes it easy when you uh, have particular individuals around you with that similar like-mindedness that uh, really just enjoy basketball and, and enjoy being around each other. And I think that's the main thing as a coach is you just want to uh, allow that to play out organically and naturally and, and just really go with their vibe and their flow. And uh, yeah, it was, it was a great group. A great group, no doubt. And uh, I'm going to just share a quote because I think it connects with what we're just talking about a little bit. And you said there's going to be a hard line when it comes to the team's accountability. It's going to be enforced, but there's going to be an element of fun. No matter what you do, my critiquing is always going to come from a place of love. And I just love that kind of connection that you made between those two things. Can you discuss that a little bit more for us? Yeah, I I think over time, um, you know, I've worked with some really good coaches. Um, you know, as you mentioned, Will Weaver, uh, I, I spent a season with him and, you know, I really wish that I was able to spend more time with him because I feel like I only scratched the surface of his coaching knowledge and his approach. And um, alongside guys like Sean Dennis, who's now in Japan, and, and Trevor Gleason, I worked with at Perth, um, who's now in Toronto. And um, one of the things that, Every coach was very different in the way they uh, went about their philosophy and their approach and their teaching, um, but they were very genuine in what they did. They didn't try to be someone they weren't. Um, and so, you know, one of the things I, 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 you know, really wanted to be was genuine and and myself. And you know, I am that type of guy that wears my heart on my sleeve a little bit. I can get a little bit emotional. At different extremes and uh, um, but no matter what it was always coming from a place of um, care and trust and, and and love and you know I wanted to put these guys in a situation that they wanted to look back on and say this is the best time of their playing career you know I wanted them to be old men 20 30 40 years from now and talk about their time here at Cairns or their time with me to be and that was some of the best basketball um, I want to try and get them out of their comfort zone and I want to try and do it respectfully um, but also you know uh, 
I, I want them to enjoy the experience. And so it's trying to find that balance of, you know, when to be aggressive in your feedback and also when to be nurturing in uh, the confidence building element um, and then trying to bundle it all together and hopefully don't get it wrong and stumble my way through it. And, um, you know, for the most part, I feel like we get some of it right. We definitely get some of it wrong. Um, but, you know, the things you do get wrong, you can put your hand up and say, hey, man, like, that's my fault. Like, I got that one wrong. I'm sorry. Let's let's pivot and start again and and and, and try and get this thing right. Well, we're going to talk about how you bundled it and uh, get into some tactical periodization and different things like that. But uh, before we do, I mean, when I was touring Australia in December, it, I asked a few people about your team and you and uh, the style of play. And uh, it definitely came out that uh, your team was playing uh, with some freedom and shooting a lot of threes. And uh, when I checked the stats, I mean, you led the NBL in three-point attempts. So definitely part of the philosophy to create some space and uh, to give you, give your players some freedom, wasn't it? Yes, um, and sometimes it didn't always play out to our advantage. Uh, even though we definitely lead the league in attempts, um, you know, we were fluttering at different points of the season where we weren't exactly converting. Um, the, the cool thing was we drove such a hard line on the defensive side of things. Um, you know, we had a lot of rules and, and non-negotiables, I guess, in place on how we wanted to defend, um, and which worked really well for us. We ended up having uh, the second-best defense in the league which was the reason we got over the line uh, with some wins. And so with that hard approach on the defensive then the reward was to say, hey, you guys are basketball players. Like, you know, it, it's like an artist, you know, uh, preparing the canvas, whether you want to be a painter or a sculptor, musician. Um, you know, I wanted to allow a lot of creative freedoms with these guys. And, you know, the modern game is everybody loves the space and shoot it, right? And we put a four-point line in on our training facility here to – uh, really not just to encourage spacing uh, on the offense, but to also sort of dip our toes in a little bit in, in terms of uh, deep range. And, you know, some guys are capable, some guys aren't, weren't as capable, but we still wanted to allow a little bit of the freedom to explore it. Um, so, yeah, offense really became the reward uh, for what we wanted to do defensively. And, uh, you know, some areas it worked well and, and, and some areas it probably needs room for improvement. And uh, you shared with me uh, briefly uh, this concept of these ignition drills. And I, I want to just talk about that quickly because I think it's brilliant stuff. And I've uh, been messing around with these things called perturbations, which is basically the sudden exposure to conditions that displace the body from equilibrium or what you want to call reactive balance. And it struck me in watching your uh, ignition drills. It's also this concept of like intentional roughhousing and developing yeah. this concept. And coaches ask us about this all the time. How do you help your players get tougher? How do you help them, you know, be more physical? And, uh, you know, you, you're covering art and science here with these ignition drills. So talk to us a little bit about what these are. Yeah, so we spent a bit of time with um, the North Queensland Cowboys uh, here in the state of Queensland. Uh, it's rugby league country. And, um, you know, everybody loves their uh, rugby league here. And so, um, during the off-season when we're trying to uh, basically come up with new concepts and ways to improve um, our defence. And, and one of it was we just basically got manhandled in a lot of areas. Like teams just were out-rebounding us and out-hustling us and, and the 50-50 plays became more like 20-80 plays and, and we weren't getting, uh, you know, the, the loose balls. And so uh, we went down to uh, the training facility down at North Queensland Cowboys. And one of the things that they do was they taught 
um, different forms of martial arts and more importantly, the grappling concept and, and the wrestling side of it. And, um, you know, one of the things that they did was it was controlled because obviously if you just try and do this without any real um, education piece behind it, you just run the risk of getting hurt, you know, just like with everything in regards to uh, physical play. And so um, we, we wanted to have an element of practice where we say, hey, we want to teach guys to be able to absorb some contact and inflict some contact and, and, and test the boundaries of also of what's legal and illegal in officiating, you know, um, you know, sometimes if a team has a, uh, uh, a reputation as being a little bit more on the physical side, naturally the ref starts to allow a little bit more um, just human nature because otherwise they're, they're blowing the whistle every, you know, second possession down. And so we wanted to be that team that really got to the, you know, got to the very boundary of what's legal or illegal and, and really test it. And so, um, but we also wanted to make sure we didn't have guys out injured. And what was interesting was chatting with a lot of the team doctors to uh, at the Cowboys was the moment they started doing more of these drills um, where they were grappling and, and, and working on wrestling and, and trying to break contact, um, injuries went down because the body became more conditioned to it. And that was a big problem for us last season was we had a lot of guys go down hurt and injured just from random injuries small things that became big things and, and, and some major just like season-ending type uh, injuries. So let's do this at the start of practice. And one of the things too was we did it to start the day because if you come in and the first 15 minutes of your practice is wrestling and boxing out and hitting the guy and taking an elbow to the ribs and your teammate trying to look for your floating rib and, and antagonize you a little bit, that almost set the bar of how the day was going to play out. And so when we started doing these drills, what we started to find was it became more second nature just to, 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 to play with that physicality. But it just set our day up. And suddenly our scrimmages were more intense. Our, our low days became more intense. The, the amount of times where we had to taper back a little bit on drills because it was supposed to be a low day leading into a game or or, or something along those lines. And, um, you know, the guys were all up and about because we just spent 10, 15 minutes doing these ignition drills. And we used contact. We also did speed work. Um, you know, we had great partnership here with CQ University. And so our high performance team um, was, you know, really exploring. And because and, this was, it was, un, it was unfamiliar territory for us. So, there was no real template for us. It was, hey, let's let's see what works, and and player feedback was massive, which also gives you a little bit of player buying. Um, but there were guys who would walk away and be like, hey, I love that. Or sometimes you just watched how they interact with each other, and afterwards they're they're all clapping and they got hands in, and and you're like, okay, let's let's do that one again. That worked really well. And then there's other times where. Uh, you know, we tried some real experimental stuff and guys are sort of looking at each other at the corner of their eye going, what is going on here? But the main thing was everything that we did was controlled to to make sure we didn't hurt anybody and, and didn't have any unnecessary injuries and everything was transferable. Whatever we did, you could replicate into a game. So, for example, like fronting the post, you know, we did drills where you had to sort of win this area on the block, but it was replicating uh, trying to front the posts if you had a mismatch, you know, because 
Um, one of the things that we were criticized for with our lineup when we recruited was uh, we looked light. Like we didn't have the big bodies and, and there's some big bodies in this league, uh, like Aaron Baines with Brisbane and Alan Williams uh, with South East Melbourne, who were just big dominant post players. Okay, I've got a 6'4 wing guard who's 80 kilos soaking wet. How's he going to battle if we decide to start, you know, uh, switching defense or, or whatever it may be? And so these played into that. And it was kind of cool when you could see some of uh, the results play out during the game. It, it's great stuff. And, and you can tell it's fun. It's fun. And uh, I've done it with, uh, again, my under 11 girls team. And uh, there's one foot, they're on one foot, they're dribbling a ball. They have contact with their opponent and they're trying to push them over this type of reactive strength, reactive balance type stuff that gives coaches a visual. And I'll share some of the clips if you're okay with that with the listeners as well. But um, Jamie Smith, who uh, is with the U of strength, uh, he'll be on a future podcast and we'll share some of his stuff, but he does a lot of this stuff around that as well. So I'll share it with you. I'll share it with others. And uh, it's just great fun stuff. So, um, and I want to emphasize this and you can talk about this more, but the best part about it is that you shared not just a clip of doing this, but you shared a clip of how it's applied in the game. And isn't that the most important part of it to be able to connect it for your players and say, that's what we worked on and this is helping you? Yeah. And it, everything we did, and this is also what we're going to touch on with the tactical periodization was everything that we did at practice, it had to be transferable to the game. And then also it was important for us coaching staff to be able to get those small clips because the clip I showed you is bull battling Baines um, uh, in that low post area. And it doesn't get a stat. He, what he does is he keeps Baines from getting the ball. He, he stops Baines from scoring the ball and he stops Baines from getting the rebound. And it's a lot of work. But, I mean, you're, you're wrestling a guy who is double your size and is built like a UFC fighter and, or a character out of Game of Thrones. And, you know, I want you to do that again and again and again. And guess what? You're not going to get a stat for it. So it was really important that when we drilled it and it was transferable, that when it did happen, that we highlighted it and we celebrated it. And, you know, we called it an Iron Man moment. We had it loop in the change room where it's like, hey, this was the Iron Man moment of the game. And, you know, it doesn't get you a stat, but it wins the possession and possessions win games and, and, and these things add up. So, um yeah, it's it's fun, but it's also taxing. So it was really important that we rewarded the guys with it. So we've mentioned tactical periodization a few times already. So let's get into that. And um, Joe Gallo, head coach at Merrimack College, we did a podcast uh, a while ago. We talked about tactical periodization. <laughs> Alex Saram has talked about tactical periodization on the podcast. And a lot of it comes from uh, Jose Marino making it most famous, but Victor Frade, I think that's how you say it, a uh, professor yeah. in Portugal, is one that originated. But coaches, you can do a Google dive on that stuff. Let's get into the practical part of it. What is practical periodization as it relates to your program? Yeah, this is the cool thing about it is um, I, as I'm trying to learn more and more about it, I'm learning more things every time I, I research something else. And, and I got my assistant coaches onto it. And one of the things that they talked about was, um, you know, oh, did you see this in the game model? Or have you seen this in regards to, uh, you know, doing a philosophy or identity? And I'm like, no, or you interpret it something different. So it's really important that, um, you know, as we talked about tactical periodization, I, I want to be clear in that sense of like, this is also how I interpret it and, and the main areas we picked apart from it. But um, the, the big thing is, is um, firstly building that identity. And, and you know, um, one of the things that 
they uh, highlight, especially Jose Maria, when he was the manager for Porto, was what is the city and how does that city identify itself and how is that transferable, relatable to the professional team that they represent? And so in Kansas situation, the, the Taipans are the only professional club here. There's no soccer club, there's no football club, there's no AFL, rugby league or anything along those lines. It, it has its NBL club. Um, and the unique situation for us uh, with the Taipans is we're the only professional club that is, uh, we're a non-for-profit with community owned. So I think about my time in Perth uh, when Jack Bendat. Uh, owned the Perth Wildcats and and Jack at the time's net worth was like 876 million like he was a, a mining construction tycoon and you know you could cut the check for particular players that you want to bring in here it's a little bit different in a sense that uh, we we operate on the lowest budget um, with community owned and so there's real investment um, from the fan base now Kansas population itself is only 150,000 so you know it's different here too that I'll walk down to a shopping centre and people will be celebrating us and they, they really enjoy their team. And really, when we weren't playing that well either, you know, there was games where, you know, we were down 25 points halfway through the fourth quarter and I look at the scoreboard and, and people are still in, the stand, still, in, still in the stands celebrating us. Like, their support was genuine. And so when when we adopted this model, and that was the first thing I really took away to say, okay, the game model on how we want to play and how we want to represent Cairns has to include an element of how does the city identify itself and, and what is valuable to them. And so I spent a lot of the off season just chatting with the fan base and sponsors and, hey, what excites you? Like, what what makes you want to come down and watch a Taipans game? What makes you proud of this team? And and one of the things that, uh, and most teams can relate to, but especially Kansas, because we're a lower budget, they love the underdog status. They love the idea of second chances. They love the idea of, you know, discovering these young, uh, you know, rookie players out of college who they could sit on the bench and, and take two, three years to blossom into their role. Or they could just come here and just be thrown straight into the spotlight and a real single swing type uh, mentality. And so when we recruited in the off-season, that's what we targeted. And we, we, we went young. We went really, really young. And what was kind of cool, and I didn't realise this at the time until we played our um, uh, first game against Tasmania, and this little stat came up at the bottom, but we were the youngest and most inexperienced team in franchise history. And, you know, there's a level of, you know, nervousness. When you see that, you're like, okay, oh, like, Maybe we went too hard at this, right? Um, but the community wanted youth and they wanted fun and they wanted to be fast and they wanted to have a little bit of swag and because it's a touristy town and we wear bright orange and, you know, that's our personality. And, and so, you know, that's what we recruited for. And the cool thing about it was um, by the end of the season, uh, we recorded the, the second best win rate in franchise history. So he's the youngest team, most inexperienced that was to finish last. And now we were one game from top spot and, um, you know, the the crowds were massive, the sellout, the, because it's important for us, because we are community owned, where we generate a lot of our revenue from. And so, you know, that was that was the first element in terms of like building that game model, um, which was what is your identity and how can it represent the city? 
And then the next part to it was more in the tactical and the periodization side of things where it said there's four moments in the game. And those four moments is your half-court organization in offense, your half-court organization in defense, and the transition between each. So you transition from offense, defense, defense to offense. And everything you do in building out your uh, game style and your day-to-day practice and also planning out the year, whatever you implemented, like, for example, we just talked about the ignition stuff and 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 even shooting drills to, uh, you know, how we scrimmage, had to fall into one of those four moments in the game. And that really, it was it was amazing because it expanded my way of thinking in terms of how to approach practice, but it also gave me a real narrow focus and always came back to answering the why. And I know this is where I've watched a lot of your stuff and where you're big on is like the no free man weave. And so you sit here and go, okay, like if I'm, if I'm putting so much value on the periodization, which is time on feet, player management, uh, load management, okay, everything we want to make sure is utilized. And so if today is a, a high day or a low day or moderate day, do I really want to, burn, let's say it's a low day. And knowing that I've got to play a low target of 300, which we, which we use with catapult to, to get uh, those measurements. Okay. If I do five minutes of three man weave as a warm up, well, that's going to add up to about 16 cents of payload. So boom, there's already one eighth of my practice. Okay. What a waste of time that was. And so the cool thing about it was with this tactical periodization and referring to the four months in the game. Okay, instead of three-man weave, I'm going to do this three-man shooting drill. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to put four seconds on the shot clock. And I'm going to tell the guys, you start here, you start here, you start here, and I want a corner three. And the only thing is you have to shoot it before the siren goes off, and the shot has to come below the break. And then you don't overcoach it. You know, you you, you sit back because in the back of your mind, you as a coach, you're like, hey, I want crisp passing, and I want passing with the outside hand. And, I need you to go kick, kick. And as you're running to the corner, I need you to look over your shoulder. I need you to find your outside foot and rhythm. No, no, forget all of that. Figure it out. You got three seconds to get this shot. Go. And now it's it's all the things you wanted from a three-man weave because it's interesting when you talk to coaches, as you know, and you say, okay, what's the benefits of three-man weave? Oh, most passing. Does it really? Oh, it's a warm-up drill. Okay, I've got a better warm-up drill. And so when you use this, and you see it rep out a couple of times and the siren runs out before they get a shot. And that that part of your brain as a coach that goes, stop the drill, tell them what they need to do. And you're like, no, let them figure it out. Like, let them figure it out. And so you just sit back and, and you watch it evolve. And then they start talking and they go, hey, you got to do this. you got to do that. And this is going to be passed. And, and before you know it, now they're getting the shot off in time, but it's an ugly shot. Okay, now they start thinking about the the – getting the balance in their feet and then shooting the three ball and, and and how they want to finish it and how they want to rhythm it. And, and then as they start to get good at that, you go, okay, I'm going to chuck two defenders in. So now it becomes this three-on-two transition defensive drill. That's more relatable to the game because, as we mentioned at the start, we love shooting threes. Okay, I want to make sure I get a lot of corner threes. And for me to get corner threes in transition, you better get there and get balanced and get ready. And so suddenly now in this warm-up drill that has evolved to the point where it transfers directly into a game and you're building good habits that you value in terms of your style of play, which also comes back to the fact that the community goes, hey, we love teams that shoot a lot of threes. We reckon it's fun. 
and it all just circles back into uh, this 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 cool concept of again tactic periodization, which covers so many different elements. I mean, that's just one random little branch that you know I can I can I can go into a thousand different examples, but you know that's one there that was really cool and suited us uh, perfectly. Well, I, I, we're going to go in a few other directions with it, but uh, I just want to emphasize that again, three man weaves a metaphor for fluff basically is what I would say. There's a lot of things that we do in practice as coaches that if we reflect back on what you just said about these four moments in the game and go, is this drill helping my players or our team improve in these four moments of the game? And there's so many things that we can reflect on and say, no, that does not actually help us. So why are we doing it? And just go, is yeah. there a better way? And what you're just saying is, yeah, there's a better way if you really think about it. And uh, that's great. And uh, I do want to kind of bring this back a little bit. The tactical periodization structures, learning and training to mirror situations that reflect coaches game model. So what is a game model? Give us a simple understanding of what your game model would be. You talked about the why a little bit based on understanding your area, your your geographic location, the fan base, but also understanding your players and the different things that come with that. So how do we go about approaching a game model? Yeah, so uh, the, the, I, I guess the big thing with the game model especially is, is um, how, can, how can you get the technical, the conditioning, and then also the decision-making elements, right? And if we build that out and everything, and this, especially as we talk about like the why with each drill and so forth, but the game model has to be, okay, if we're talking about um, transition defense, right? And and what we value in our transition defense. And let's say we have these set rules. Um, the game model is, okay, like the tactical side of it, and the conditioning side of it, well, you can you can drill that. You can you can be overcomplicated in the sense of saying, okay, these are our rules, right? I want you to sprint back. And when you sprint back to the four-point line, the first person needs to declare ball. And the second person needs to protect paint. And then the third person can load to the ball side. But then also you've got to keep one eye on who's most dangerous, you know, who's a three-point threat. And then as more players start to come through, then you start to filter out from the weak side and the final rule is anyone guards anyone, you know, and, and, and that's the tactical side of it. And then your conditioning can be just running the drill. You know, let's let's run it, let's rep it out, let's do multiple times. But where's the decision-making element, right? Where Where's the part where the guys are on the court going, hang on a sec, like I, I'm protecting the paint, but then I've got this guy here on the perimeter that's, Steph Curry, am I going to stay in the camp? Am I, how am I going to close him out? And how am I going to close him out differently to a non-shooter? And so um, then that's when you start adding in the idea of like small sided games or, or, or you chuck in different types of circumstances where you say, let's make it a drill where um, it's five on three and two defenders coming back, which is a pretty standard transition D drill, which anyone can do. Um, but I'm also going to add in an element where no one's allowed to talk, you know, and, and no one's allowed to say anything. And now you've got to figure it out with your nonverbal communication. And nonverbal also includes your body language and how you carry yourself. So I'm looking at you and going, okay, you just put your hand up and you, you declared ball. Okay, I'm good with that. I'm going to sprint back and protect the paint and just show with my body language that the rim's protected and the next person can, can 
can, you know, move on to that element. So that's what's really important, especially with the game model, is that no matter what you do, it has to tickle three boxes. Why can't we do conditioning and tactical and decision-making and, you know, every drill that we do, whether it's a low day, a moderate day or a high day, we tick those three boxes. And so, you know, don't waste time on feet by doing something that, you know, you can wrap these two, three drills up into one and, and smash it out in 10 minutes. But the decision-making element is massive. Like the guys are playing the game. We can get guilty. And I've, I, I say this because I was one of the biggest culprits of it, especially when I, early on when I started. Well, you keep stopping and be like, no, this is, this is how you do it perfect. This is perfect. Mm-hmm. The game's not perfect. The, the game's full of mistakes. And it's usually the team to adjust um, comes out on top. And it's the players that need to make the adjustments. So, um, yeah, that's what's really important with the game model. Coach, a brief interruption from our podcast to tell you about basketballmersion.com. Why do so many coaches coach like it was 20 years ago? Technology, research, innovation have all expanded our understanding of teaching, coaching, and learning. Change can be hard to accept, but with an open mind and willingness to learn, it is possible. This is what Basketball Immersion has done for so many coaches. Coaches at all levels of basketball from around the world have stimulated their coaching development using the Basketball Immersion membership community. Embrace the change that will impact your players and team beyond anything you can imagine. Join our Basketball Immersion community at basketballimmersion.com. Piggybacking on the no communication thing, obviously we've talked about it before on the podcast about if you shut up, the players get a chance to be able to take ownership and take charge, which is important. But the other part of it is that, uh, you know, perception precedes communication. So working on that part of it, your players seeing it, and by the time they communicate it, it might be too late anyway. So working on their perception and their ability to be able to see it before is so cool. But I really want to come back to this part where you connect this idea that every game action involves the following, a decision, right? This tactical dimension. And we're obsessed with the second part, which is an action or the motor skill, the technical dimension. And as basketball coaches, we're just obsessed with that part of it. And sometimes to the detriment of that tactical part of it, which obviously is the most important part is the decision. So talk to us about that, because this, this really, this tactical periodization and game model helps you keep that in balance, doesn't it? Yeah, and this is this is what's really exciting about it is um, I I think about especially growing up in my early years with coaching and you know one of my first jobs in basketball I was a development manager for basketball WA and so you do a lot with youth and you identify the 16, 15 year olds because it's different in Australia to like with the US in that the high school system isn't as uh, competitive here as it is in the states. Rather, we operate with um, each state, you know, getting together once a year to play a national tournament, different age groups. And so identifying kids in each age group and basically overtraining them, you know, and, and it's gotten better. It's definitely gotten better with, with how uh, development pathways are done now compared to when I was starting out uh, working for Basketball WA. But, you know, I think about, for example, um, uh, the hard show and how I used to teach the hard show. And it, and it makes me cold now thinking about it because, you know, I would be, let's say I'm the screen defender and there's overcomplicated things I used to say where I'd be like, okay, so, you know, as the ball carrier comes off this screen, I'm going to slide out two feet, my feet are parallel to the sideline and I'm going to show my hands and I'm going to retreat back high hands and, and, and layer this. So it was also this, 
one system fits all, which doesn't happen in basketball, right? Because everybody's got different traits and characteristics. And so the technical dimension, uh, it, it used to be weighted way too much. Um, and then as time went on and, you know, I've worked with some really impressive defenders in my time with, um, you know, Damian Martin, who now in Australia, they, they've named the Defensive Player of the Year Award over. Um, in my team right now, I've got Taji McCall, who, who finished second or runners up to Defensive Player of the Year in the G League a couple of years back behind uh, Gary Payne the second. And, and you watch these guys defend and it's like, oh, like, wow, that's, that's really good. And that has no, there's no textbook for that. You know, there's, there, so this is the tactical and the decision. And what I've moved away from is a set blueprint to say, hey, this is how we defend the, the on ball, or this is how we're going to defend in transition. You just say, hey, these are the things that I value, right? I value no rhythm threes. So this guy's a really good shooter, really, really good shooter. And I want you to go over this screen as much as you possibly can, right? But every now and again, you're going to get caught out, right? You might have to go under. And how much can you recover? What's what's your athletic capability? What's your desire? What's your what's your effort level like to navigate this screen that you may now, in this particular instance, had to go under? And how can you still get out and contest the shot and take away the rhythm free? And so now when we drill it and we do these small side games and, and depending on what the day is in terms of how complex we want to be and, and what our uh, uh, if it's a high day or low day in terms of the physicality side of things, we want to make sure that each drill goes, okay, while I'm talking about the technical dimension, which is, hey, like get over this screen, don't let him shoot a rhythm free. And if he's shooting it, it better be like heavily contested or 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 you know, even if you if it's uncontested and he misses it, count it. Like that's that's how aggressive we're going to be with this, right? But now there's also the decision element. Like there's the the the, the tactical side of it that you don't want to overcoach, right? Because the player has to figure it out. And then the cool thing about it is the power of observation. Because someone else sits back and goes, "Wow, that's really good." But then they also aware of going, "I actually not physically capable of doing that." Because the guy I just watched has a six seven wingspan. And I don't. And so I'm going to have to do things a little bit differently. And then they might hit early or they might try and crawl in because they're really good at crawling and take away space and absorbing contact compared to somebody else. And so this one size fits all um, concept that I used to teach doesn't apply. And it's the decision on the player that really, and because then after that, right, is, you know, with that particular movement, right, you got the, the physiological side of it and you got the decision-making, which comp, it, it, it all flows on. Um, but the, the, the main thing is, is, is the player's uh, decision element uh, capabilities is, is probably more important than anything that I have to say in terms of coaching them through it. I love this so much. And the part that really has helped me in discussing this, especially with Alex Rama, is this concepts of principles of play, which is what you keep coming back to here. It's like, it doesn't really matter what you run on offense or what you run on defense as a system. What matters is the principles of play, because then that becomes very adaptable. For example, spacing. Spacing is a principle of yes. play. On offense, we want to create it. On defense, we want to take it away. How you do that varies, as you've already said, by potentially your area, your, your town, your personnel, and then a little bit of your coaching philosophy, but uh, those principles of play are so important. Can you just dive a little bit deeper with that about how that directs how you approach coaching? 
Yeah, and so it's got to be specific, right? It's got to be okay. I, I let's 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 say um, let's talk about like the space inside of it, right? So um, something we did, which raised a few eyebrows here, especially, is we put in a four point line. Now a lot like I know a lot of NBA teams have done that, and and this is probably where I got the idea from. Was like I really like that. I want to do that here, and it was a, a little subtle way of um, hey. The four-point line's fun because you're going to shoot from it, but it's also this is where I want you to be on like your starting point. You know, I want to open up the floor a little bit more, and so um, without overcoaching it, um, you know, that's one example where we go, okay, now when we talk about spacing, now I want to do, I'm going to have six guys on the floor. We're gonna we're gonna have a six-man offense here, which doesn't happen during the game, but what we're gonna what we're gonna put in is the idea of uh, drive kick. And you can drag, you can diagonally cut from the weak side, you can drift across, you can do all these different things in terms of working off each other. But I've got six defenders to really crowd up that space. So I put in the four-point line, which is encouraging the spacing, and now I've taken it away by putting a six defender. And then the, the, the big part to that is the struggle. Like the boys have to be frustrated. Like you, you can see it play out where they sit there and they're like, this doesn't work. What? And you give them like make it work, make it work, like do it, like you you got to figure it out, like make it work. And, but this is what I want. I want a paint touch because there's importance that there's a direct correlation, right? In terms of every time we get the ball into the paint and we kick it out, our strike rate of how effective that three point shot is goes up. Not only because it's something assist and assist, but you've made the defense collapse in and now you've had to close out. So I haven't told him that, but that's. I'm doing this drill because I want to generate that type of shot. I want to generate a three-point shot off an assist that the defender has to create off a long closeout. Um, but we don't need it. You got some players that want to hear that. You got some guys that don't want to hear it. But you want to build it out so then that becomes the end result and becomes second nature. And what helps in the learning process is the struggle. So you make it complicated. You, you frustrate them, and then. Before you know it, the magic starts to happen, right? And they sit there and go, you need to do this and you need to do that. And then they start talking about things and they're debating it and then they're coming to a common ground and then they, and they're, okay, let's do it now. And, and, and it's starting to work. Um, but that's I, just, the- I just want to go like struggle, fight for your learning, struggle. I love that because you've referenced this a few times and you're not saying make it physically harder. And that's where a lot of people think, oh, we make it okay. harder by making it physically harder. No, you're making it mentally harder on them yeah. by not giving them all the answers and, and yeah. putting them in a situation where they have to figure it out. And to me, that that's, again, what you want to do. You want to put the ownership on them to help figure it out. And then if you need to, as a coach, you can offer guidance if they need it. Can you talk about that process a little bit more about where you do step in and provide guidance? Yeah. So, and and there's, we, so, and this is also part of tactical periodization where we have three different days. So this plays into the conditioning side of it, but also the mental side of it. So we'll have a high day and a high day is basically full course scrimmaging. We might, we might do some small sided games. But the reality is, is we want to get out and play. We want to get out and run. We want to enforce our transition offense, uh, our principles, our rules, and, and same on defense. But I'll, I won't coach a lot of it. And if I do, it's it's coaching on the run. I'm like, run alongside and I'm yelling, hey, remember, get below the break. Like, or, hey, remember, extra pass. Or, or the ball's stuck too long. You know, you got to move it on quick. 
Um, and so there's not a lot of coaching going on those days. Um, but then there's other days where, uh, let's say it's like a moderate day. And so we want to keep that same level of game intensity. But the moment you open it up into the full court, now you've got another high day. And especially during the season, it's important that you don't have too many of these high days because it comes to game day and you just burn out, right? And this is, I mean, I, I remember when I was a kid growing up and it was, you know, you, you trained hard every day, every day, every day, every day. And then before you know it, you get to a point in the year, like, I'm just burn out. Like, my knees hurt. And, you know, I'm, I'm 15 and I'm walking around like I'm 50, you know. Um, so um, coming back to the, the mental side of it is, on these lower days where we go, hey, we want to keep it same game intensity, um, but we're just going to keep it in the half court. You know, we're going to make it live on the rebound. And once you get the rebound, we stop, we swap, and we start over. Um, those are the days, and even now trying to trying to manage it is how much do I really want to step in and and you know take over the practice? Um, you know, an example I can think of is especially when we're preparing for a particular Team. Let's say this particular team is a better three-point shooting team than most others. Um, and so, um, you know, we, we have what we refer to our, our half-court defensive organization. We refer to it as our home-based defense. So majority of the time, this is how we play defense in the half-court. And we'll adjust it depending sometimes on the team we play or the personnel we have available. You know, we might have a real good drop defender, but he happened, he's out this week, you know, because he's sick or he's injured or whatever it may be. And so now we're playing a little bit more small ball. Okay, our home base defense this week is we're going to switch everything or, or we're going to get out of hard shot of the on ball. But for the most part, our defense stays relatively consistent. So if if I see something which falls into the realms of, hey, that's that's not what we do. And an example of that is, let's say, uh, chopping the feet on the closeout. I I want to I want to have athletes on the floor that are able to close out the three point shooter and be able to like move your feet and and stay in front of them and protect the the, the keyway. Look, I'll live with a, a mid range. Oh, and but the mid range shot I'm living with is side contested or rear view contested. Like the the offensive player still has to feel you there, right? Um, but the the no chopping of the feet is non negotiable for us. So if I see something happen once, straight away, I'll step in straight away. But if we're talking about this particular drill and we're working on defending the dribble handoff and I know that I want to gap it and fight over, but it's it's one of those ones that fall into the realms of, hey, if you're athletically capable enough, though, that you have to navigate this screen this one time you go under it and you can still get out and contest the shot, I won't pull them up the first time. But I might pull them up the third time because now that guy's just hit the third shot in a row, you know. And so this is where, um, you know, it, having the player figure out himself, the first time he nails a three because he defended the dribble handoff incorrectly, I'd be like, mm. you know, you, you just make a little, uh, you know, you, you give just a subtle cue to say, I'm not happy with that. And then the second time is, mate, how like how would you redo that again? And when we video practice, and one of the things we do a lot of is, is a lot of, uh, video review with individuals as in a group um, because sometimes as well you don't want to waste guys time because this particular clip doesn't apply to two-thirds of the team it just applies to these two three guys so let's get them individually and, and talk about it here um, but yeah the the ones where it's the non-negotiable straight away pull them up not good enough do it again right because that that this is in our dna this is our home base defense this is the non-negotiable 
Um, but the ones where it's more about exploration and maybe a subtle adjustment or a tweak because, hey, this team's a, a better three-point shooting team or this team's got a guy, has got a, a four-man that off the dribble handoff is a real threat when he fakes the handoff and slips on the rim. So we're going to gap it a little bit more or we're going to look to defend it differently. That you allow a little bit more uh, uh, room to operate with that uh, trial and error, I guess is the best way to put it before you start pulling guys up and saying, all right, no, nah, here we go. We're getting this wrong. This is how I want it done. Uh, but the cool part about it is I've got enough smart guys on the team that they help each other out. And this is what I do, and this is this is how I've defended it. And uh, and allowing, the, the, allowing that peer review with the struggle, like because the guy starts getting frustrated, right? Like he's, he's getting frustrated, like why can't I get this to work? And, Believe it or not, man, it's part of the learning process. Like this, this, this gives me more confidence than me stepping in going, this is how you're supposed to do it. And he nails it. Okay. But are you going to remember that in two weeks time? Are you going to remember that come game day or the fact that you had to figure it out yourself and you went through that struggle makes it stick a little bit better. So when it comes to game time in the heat of battle and you got that half second decision, you're gonna re, you're gonna bring that information up sooner than me talking you through it, walking you through it, and and doing all the heavy lifting for you. Um, so that's an example there of 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 uh, of you know the mental side of it. Well, you're explaining the coaching process beautifully. That 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 is beautiful, and th- that's it. I mean, I use the term must and possibilities, where something is a must. But then most yeah. things are a possibility. And what it relates to what you're trying to build in your players is you're trying to build adaptability, the player to be very adaptable because ultimately they have to solve their own problems in a game. And then the second part is you're trying to create trust amongst you to them and them to you that they can figure it out. And what you're describing is building those two things beautifully. And it's a, such a fun part of the process I find in coaching as well, isn't it? Yes. And, and the, the cool thing about it is Working with Will is what really expanded my mind with this because, you know, I came up uh, through a real regimented system where, um, you know, as I talked about, right, like at, at Basel WA when I was working there and, you know, everything's from a textbook and this is how it's done and this is how you're going to get to the next level. And then, um, you know, I worked with Will and, you know, I suggest something and he'll just turn around and go, why? Oh, um, well, that's just because of what I was told. Okay, go watch a hundred clips of it and come back to me and see if you still think the same way. And after 20 clips, I'm like, oh my God, he's right. And in fact, now I've come up with this new creative idea that I think is better. And I've got the video clips to support it. And the other part too, a byproduct of it is when coaches talk about that player buy-in, I think this is really, for me, I found what it was in, in a sense of the buy-in because I'm I'm willing to adjust. You, you did a great um, uh, Q&A one with Dave Fizzler, who I love. I reckon I can listen to him talk for hours and hours and hours. And, and one of the things that he mentioned was um, willing to admit you're wrong and, and willing to make those adjustments. And even if it's off the back of a, a direct conversation with a player who says, hey, I think this is a better option, to not be so ego-driven or stubborn to be like, no, like we're doing it my way because this is, no, hang on a sec, that's actually a better idea. That's actually, I want to do that and let's let's see if it works. And if it does work, why wouldn't you want to adopt it? And so this all plays into it 
in a sense of, well, I'm watching these guys discover things about how to defend a particular action or, or what to do. I'm actually jotting it down going, oh, this is actually really good. I didn't think about this before. And, and I'm not so ego-driven to admit that I, I don't know everything. And I, I, I don't know everything about tactical periodization. I'm learning more and more about it the more I touch into it. But I know that I love it. I want to keep expanding on it. And if I get my um, my motivation or, or my ideas from the players in front of me or, or fellow coaches, yeah, uh, uh, you know, you, you've got to be uh, not so ego-driven to think that, uh, you know, you, you're coming up with it at all. No, I, I draw inspiration from wherever you can. Well, it speaks to the fact that the players are playing the game. And I think, how could we have the better answer? necessarily like we can have ideas but ultimately if we put them in situations they will show us the best way and uh, that's where your players when you empower them and let them figure it out and we tend to think of non-linear learning back to your example about the players struggling figuring out how they ha- to go under the handoff we tend to yeah. think of non-linear learning only as youth but it still applies at the professional level that players learn at different stages and in different ways so providing them that space and that permission to be able to struggle and make mistakes is so important. And and during the game as well, and this is where um, I know earlier on in my career, and as recently as like last season, where the the same type of uh, exploration of our practice, I wouldn't allow that in the game. And so now there's conflicting like messaging, right? There's, do, does is the player allowed to do it or not allowed to do it? And 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 is it just at practice where there's no risk of wins or losses. And so now naturally the, the game approach is different. Um, yeah, like if, if we're talking about uh, allowing these same boundaries of exploration and learning at practice, that also applies during the game. And, you know, one thing that I've always said was, you know, I, I've never I've never got upset about attacking turnovers. Like guys who look to get aggressively on the rim and, Someone makes a back cut and they try to make the pass and it's deflected or they missed it and it goes out of court. Hey, like we'll aggress it. That was an attacking turnover and, and and now get it back on defense. Like if you get it back on defense, all sins are forgiven, right? And you give another crack and 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 go again. So um, it's really important. And I've come to realize that too now, even as I have a three-year-old and just watching him try and piece a puzzle together. There's a part of me that wants to help him with that piece. And it's like, no, let him strike. He gets frustrated and he gets angry and, and he tries and then he figures it out and then he learns from it. And that struggle of learning may have taken longer, but now that he's done it, it is he's gonna he's gonna recall that information quicker. And it's that light bulb moment to me going, this is the same for men playing basketball. The the learning process may take longer. I may come in and go, this is the answer. Okay, let's move on. No, now they figured out the answer. It's taken longer. But the recall, and when you see it happen during a game, well, that happens more instinctively and sooner than me trying to remind them every second week of the same thing I keep telling them. Brilliant. Don't solve it for your three-year-old. And more (laughs) more importantly, if they decide to use the puzzle piece for something completely different than the puzzle, Go with it yeah. because they have yeah. something in their mind that is a solution to something and it's all beautiful. And it's all part of the learning process. And that's Great. what is amazing about kind of this method of coaching that you're describing is that, again, you put your players in situations. And I've said it many times on the podcast. I've watched coaches that put players in a drill and coach the most, the smallest micro detail in a drill. But then once they start playing a game, they don't coach that detail at all. 
So why does it matter in the drill if it doesn't matter in the game? And just constantly reflecting on what you're coaching relative to what's really important in the game and what helps a player succeed is so important. Agreed. And I, I know I was definitely guilty of that. And this is where it's cool again when you come back to the tactical periodization side of things is, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a day we call a captain's run, right? We used to call it a low day, but when you tell guys it's a low day, they they automatically switch off a little bit. So we refer to it as the captain's run. So the, the physicality side of the drills uh, lower, but you want to maintain that game intensity. So you just say, okay, we're live until the shot goes up and then there's, there's no rebound. But now you can add in, there's a little bit more teaching element or there's a little bit more relevance to, hey, we're playing Sydney this weekend and this is how we want to defend the on-ball. And there's a little bit more stop-start and, and you can allow that. But then the other day, like I sort of mentioned, is is the high day. And this is where there's not a lot of coaching going on. There's a lot of player interaction there's a lot of player talk and trying to figure it out and it's a high intense day it's one of my favorite days but you know there's there's more coaching i think from me to myself to say don't say anything like as much as that little scratch that little itch in the back of your mind is saying tell them tell them tell them it's like no like let them figure it out and if it still becomes an issue hey i'll get video and then we can review it and then we can we can talk about it on one of our low days. But no, this is their day. This is a high day. Don't overcomplicate it. Coach on the run for the non-negotiables and everything else let them figure it out. And having those set days almost became um, conditioning for us coaches to say, hey, guys, today's a high day. And I'll say this to my coaching staff. Today's a high day. Don't overdo it. Like, let them roll with it. Just make sure we make sure the clock's ready. Make sure we, we don't mess up the score because the boys will let you know if you mess the score up uh, and, and we want to keep this progressing along and, and ticking these boxes. And then if there's anything that needs to be coached or critiqued, let's get the video, let's grab the guy, and let's do that tomorrow, um, you know, when they probably spent the day thinking about it themselves. And you'd be surprised too the amount of times when you're showing guys with video because we also make video available to them. And we don't make it mandatory because some guys want to watch it. Some guys don't. Some guys want to watch a lot of it. Some guys just want to watch a few clips. But what was cool as the season progressed on, the amount of times when the player sat with you and was like, yeah, I watched this. Hey, this is what I think. What do you reckon? And I'm like, what do I reckon? Like, you're playing it. That was great. Like, yes, I love it. And let me jot that down here because I think that's relevant to these guys. And then once you're done with that film session, they're talking about it with their teammates. It was the, the more we did it, the more it just opened me up to go on, man, like, oh, if I could get the younger version of myself, like, these are the things that we'll talk about. But uh, I guess that's also part of the learning process, too. You know, like, it took a little bit longer to figure it out. <laughs> uh, for all of us, not just you. And, uh, you know, I try to always think about it as as whatever level I'm coaching, whatever age I'm coaching, the players are an active participant, not just in the learning process, but also in how we're playing and what we're doing. They're an active participant. They are definitely not this just isolated observer. They're a part of the process. And another thing I want to piggyback on is you said about, you know, manipulating intensity a little bit. Um, same thing. I never told my players it was going to be a harder, easy day. Yeah. I told them no matter what, you come ready to practice. And without knowing it, I will manipulate intensity. And I want to bring that up for coaches because I don't want them to miss that because you said some really important things. Manipulate intensity full, more full or half court, less or more teaching. And then adding to that scoring or no scoring within drills, mm -hmm. 
scoring system, and then consequences or no consequences. So those are different things. Those are four ways to manipulate intensity without kind of thinking about it in terms of just running hard or not running hard. Are there anything that I've missed with some of those things in terms of manipulating intensity? No, you nailed it. And, and every now and again, too, um, we'll throw something in just like a spanner in the works just to, again, have them figure it out, and they'll get frustrated with it. So, for example, let's say it's one of those moderate days, and, and a moderate day, we would still go full court, but it'll be like down backstop, down backstop, you know, and, and then that way you can still just manage the payload. But we might do it where we say, hey, there's six defender. So there's six defenders. So we've got our like our our press break offense to the to, to you know try and uh, break the trap or, or full court man pickup. Um, but now there's a six defender, and the guys are going, oh. What should we do now? Or oh, this, this, this doesn't work. I'm like, who cares? Figure it out. It's never going to happen during a game. There's never six guys on the court. So let's run our offense. But if the offense doesn't work, how are you going to play out of it? You know. And so even then, the drill itself didn't change. It was still down and back. So when we log it in terms of the play load, and and you know we're making sure that we didn't go too high because we got a game in two or three days, and the the, the physicality side was still the same, but now the mental side just shot up in complexity because the guys are like, oh, this is a defender now. And this is not fair because you just brought it in halfway through. And we're, we were up 10-4 and, and now they've scored five straight points because you've given them a six defender. Yeah, cool, figure it out, right? Like, and deal with it. And, you know, so not just the intensity on the physical side of things, but also, yeah, like the level of frustration, you know, it's the best way to replicate a game, right? When, when the crowd's against you, the momentum's against the other team. FIBA, right? I got two timeouts in the first half. I got three timeouts in the second half. And, and on top of that, if you don't use all your timeouts in the second half, you lose one of them at the two-minute mark. So I can't bail you out of everything. you got to figure it out yourself. And, um, yeah, that's why it's really important, um, you know, adding, as you said, the constraints and, and the different levels of intensity uh, that doesn't impact you don't have to go two hours every day and go hard and, and risk run a burnout, but manipulating the drill. And and there's the, the biggest frustration we have is the guys want to go longer. Oh, is that it for the day? Like, let's, no, no, that's it for the day. Process it and we'll come back tomorrow. But uh, yeah, it, it, it's really important, I think, not just for professional teams, but at every level. And, and I get asked a lot, how do you know it works? Because to me, that comes back to the fundamental question of all this. How do you know it works? And I'm going, well, how do you know basketball transfers to basketball? Well, you do, right? Like if they're playing basketball and that's what you know, no matter whether you go long or you go short, you go intense or less intense, you are always accounting for the four minutes in the game in almost everything you do. So you know it works, right? And you know it transfers. Exactly. You know, there's this is what makes it work too is, the, the, the answering the why and the player buying and their understanding of it because, you know, there's a lot of guys who, you know, come from different coaches and, you know, getting their buy-in to understand, hey, I know what you're used to. This is what we're doing here and this is the why. And I can go to a deep, detailed dive on the why if you're interested in it or you can just trust me a little bit and understand that this works and, and it's fun and um, that's definitely what makes it work too, because I think in terms, especially the player, the feedback you get is they just enjoy this more. You know, no one wants to do 30 minutes of closeout drills. They know how to close out. Okay. 
Now I'm going to do it where there's two offensive players and you've got to close out both those guys, figure it out, right? Let's, let's have a bit of fun with it. And then you start, the player starts discovering their physical limitations and, and you know, what they're capable of doing and what they're not capable of doing. Whereas just an old school closeout drill doesn't teach anything other than, you know, this is what they did in the textbook back in the 60s and, and, and that's not relevant for these guys today. I love it. As we wrap this up, I've got to ask you, two years in a row, most improved player, two years in a row, rookie of the year. I mean, that speaks to not just you, your coaching staff, but also the organization that is supporting you building this program up the right way. And that doesn't always happen at the professional level. Yeah, and and this is where there's a lot of trust, uh, as we talk about, like with the playing group and the buying, but from the front office, the administration, uh, my coaching staff, um, you know, I'll be crazy to sit here and assume that this is all me. Uh, and it's not because there's not too many organizations you can walk into and say, hey, this is my vision. I think we need to go young. I think we need to explore and tap into the youth. I think I want us to be a home for second chances. I want us to be a home for guys to come on and, and you know, expand on their careers and use us as a launch pad. And guess what? We're going to win games doing so. Um, so, you know, with the administrators like Mark Beecroft and Troy Stone here, who um, have given us a lot of trust in, in the direction that we want to steer it. But then also my coaching staff, they do a lot of the heavy lifting. And when we come to, you know, player development and, um, you know, again, I, I refer to Fisdale. One of the things that he said, you know, the characteristics of a great assistant coach is availability. You know, we, we here in Cairns, we've got access to the gym whenever we want. And guys love to come in and work out at random hours of the day and night. And so to have a staff that is willing to accommodate that and the coaching staff that I have here to say, okay, these guys are going to come in and work out. And sometimes we do player-led workouts. Sometimes we do coach-led workouts. Um, but to be accessible at all hours of the day um, is really important. So, yeah, the cool thing about it is, you know, we – we're getting wins and we want to get the third year in a row of most improved. And we want to get the third year in a row of rookie of the year. And, and knowing that that can be our identity here, um, you know, it's pretty important to, to not only myself, but the entire organization. I'm so happy we had this opportunity. Uh, thank you so much for sharing the game with us, Adam. No, I appreciate it, Chris. Thanks for having us. And again, always look forward to the podcast coming out and drawing inspiration from you and the guests you have on. And, uh, yeah, it's a valuable resource that, uh, you know, us coaches uh, are very lucky and fortunate to have. Appreciate that. Coach, I can't wait to get you back to the basketball podcast, but I wanted to take a brief moment to tell you about ImmersionVideos.com. Have you checked out ImmersionVideos.com? Watch an Oates practice and see how he has Alabama ranked in the top five nationally. Or get access to our new release featuring nine all-access practices from Alex Rama. Or other products from Tobin Anderson, Doug Novak, Dave Smart, Scott Morrison, Aaron Fern, Mark Cassio, Francisco Nanny, and more. Immersionvideos.com was created to provide value to coaches like you who are looking to stimulate their professional development by offering unique all-access tools necessary for you to be an outstanding coach who values learning and seeks to evolve. Go to Immersionvideos.com and check it out today. Thanks for listening. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and to give the Basketball Podcast and this week's guest a shout out on social media to show your support for us sharing the game. And to stay up to date on all things Basketball Immersion, subscribe to our newsletter at basketballimmersion.com newsletter.